0: We really believed that we had a business model which people needed, but we had no choice. It's a great idea, but you need to go get the license, but the license costs a million euros. So how do I get this license? How do we get started if we have no money?
1: CEO and co-founder of B2B Pay. CFO and co-founder of Navi Payments, Neil Ambicar the
0: goal for us is you know to build a truly global payment solution
1: and this industry really needs disruption and companies changing the status quo and this is what you're set up for right
0: i've lived in a lot of countries so i saw a lot of these problems with global payments and we sort of how can we help like small businesses like cut down on all these international payments these times fx fees so the iteration of how to run a startup without funding is that we
1: started doing a lot of Today, I'm talking to a fellow Kiwi, Neil Ambikar, an amazing fintech veteran. He's a co-founder of two startups. He bootstrapped both startups. Amazing story in the fintech industry. And today we learn that you don't always need to find investors and collect money to build a successful company. You can also do it another way around. And Neil will tell us today how he managed to build these two amazing businesses. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Thanks a lot, Sebastian.
1: So before we started RECORD, we talked about you live in Europe now for about 10 years, grew up in New Zealand, but your family is from India. I have, let's say, a lot
0: of things going on in my life for sure. I think I've lived in like 10 countries by now, so it's, I don't know where I'm from anymore for sure. You're a global citizen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: amazing. So you have a background in finance and accounting like I saw on your profile?
0: I've done a lot of things so Mm -hmm. I I think I'll break down that answer in two questions because I get this a lot like the first thing is that no I mean I did consulting I worked for large corporates I worked in audit firms so I did a lot of different things yes it's like sort of financey stuff but you know it's it's a huge industry but I wouldn't say real finance or banking and I guess the second question you know like especially a lot of founders like entrepreneurs is like ah so you were in the industry and hence you started the startup but actually like a lot of the things i do now i'd say 99.99 percent of the knowledge and skills were not related to my let's say background because like the payments Mm -hmm. the banking industry is completely different than what i did in the past Yeah. yeah or in the big companies and consulting side
1: interesting switch from the management consulting world to a startup and payment industry which needs a lot of innovation i mean a couple of months ago my brother bought something in Thailand using another startup, small bank, to transfer money. And it took me 11 seconds that the money was wired from my account to this Taiwanese business. And sometimes when I transfer money within Germany, it takes days. Yeah, So it's a crazy world. And this industry really needs um, disruption and companies changing the status quo. And this is what you sign up for, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, 11 seconds. Impressive, very impressive. Send me the details of this bank for sure. It is a really complicated world. And as you can see, it's even getting more complicated because we're having even more payment methods. People are, companies are becoming more global. And in Uh, fact, like the complexity is just going up. We have cryptos now. We have like cards. We have instant payment methods. They're launching new payment methods in different parts of the world, like every day and as we become global, we're trying to actually, you know, unify all these thousands of different payment methods. And it's getting more complex at the same time, more exciting. Well, if you're from the payments world that, you know, to solve these problems is, you know, challenging, but it has like, yeah, it's reward. So it's like, I feel like now even a small business is operating like only a global business would be say 30, 40 years ago. Like back in the day, you would have to be like a billion-dollar company to be, you know, like operating in Africa, Asia, South America, Brazil, USA. Now you might have a, you know, a company, a small company from a village in Germany, which is using Stripe for selling directly to e-commerce guys in 200 countries, paying staff in Philippines, buying some products from China. It's becoming, well, more complex, but also like more interesting, at least for us to solve some of these problems.
1: Definitely. It's what we do, you know, we have clients Basically, in many countries, I have people in the Philippines, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is interesting. And I've been in business now for almost 30 years. Uh, and when I see how I operated in the past, static processes and everything very local, it's a completely different world. So the world needs solutions like yours. So tell me a little bit about your both of your companies and how you bootstrap them i mean they are global players now so it's quite an achievement to bootstrap a company which made it that far
0: yeah i mean it's it's quite a long and an interesting story let's say so i started in the fintech space maybe seven eight years ago and back then it was especially in europe it was still very undeveloped we didn't have like i think transferwise and n26 Mm -hmm. or you know, revenue. They were just starting up. So they didn't even really sort of exist. They were just coming up with their initial product. So back then, again, you know, like I had, as, as you mentioned, my background, I've lived in a lot of countries. So a lot of, I saw a lot of these problems with global payments. And we sort of, the first startup I had was called B2B Pay, which still exists. And the, uh, the problem we are trying to solve is that how can we help like small businesses like cut down on all these international payment fees, these times, FX fees. And we ran immediately into the problem that hey you know to do what we wanted to do you need like tens of millions of euros you know because you need this license that licenses and let's be honest no (laughs) vc is gonna give you money just for an idea so in a way like the bootstrapping happened more like this is we had no choice you know because like hey it's a great idea but you need to go get the license but the license costs a million euros so how do i get this license so what we did to start with was that okay how do we get started if we have no money? So the first thing we did was we actually applied for a lot of like accelerator programs from big banks because we we're like, hey, if you're with big banks, maybe we can build like piggyback on their infrastructure. So we first built a prototype with Nordia Bank in Finland. So they invited us to join their accelerator program in Helsinki. They also gave us like 20, 30,000 euros thousand euros—not a lot of money, but hey, something to get started. And they also yeah. gave us like the basic infrastructure, like bank accounts and international payment rails to say, hey, here you can do a pilot for six months to see if your idea works. So that's how we got started, like by just doing an accelerator program with a bank. Well, if we had to do it, let's say the correct way, which is get the license, it would have, let's say, taken a couple of years. So that was like the first time we got like, okay, you know, we can start with some help with the banks. Then we also got accepted in the Barclays Techstars Accelerator Program which was a little bit bigger. They also gave us more money. So we could really like try more product ideas. And so that kept us going for a while. But we still, again, ran into the same issue that, hey, you know, without licensing, without like this big infrastructure that you need in the banking space, you can't really get more spaces and this costs millions of euros and we were again in the chicken and egg situation that hey we cannot get customers till you have the license and then you can't have the license without all the customers and all the funding so the, let's say the third iteration of how to run a startup without funding is that we started doing a lot of partnerships so we really believed that we had a business model which people needed which is that hey there's a lot of small businesses which are struggling with banking with their mm-hmm. local banks, with doing international payments. So what we decided to was like, hey, you know what, rather than trying to build all this infrastructure and, you know, when you're in the startup world, like you're, there is this like philosophy that, ah, the first thing you need to do is build a product. You need to build like this amazing product, which is like super world beating and then you're a real startup. And but after a while, you realize, no, you know, a lot of the focus is actually on sales. You know, you need to first yeah. get in the sales and the revenues. And build the revenues first and that's what he needed the bootstrap way so what we did the on let's say the third iteration is we started making partnerships with a lot of banks payment companies and getting our own white labels where we're like hey look we have a customer base which we will bring we will do the onboarding of clients provide the payment solution but the entire infrastructure was not ours So to give you a good like analogy on this is that, you know, like I love this book from the founder of Nike called A Shoe Dog. And actually, I read it during this time. And, you know, like one of the interesting things about this book is that for the first seven years of, let's say, before Nike even existed, they were actually like a reseller of this brand shoe brand from Japan. And only when they like sort of built. Their revenues that they're like, OK, it's we are ready to launch yeah. the Nike brand, which I mean, you know, as they say, the rest is history. And we sort of did the same thing, which is that with B2B Pay, we built all these partnerships. We solved a major pain point for the customer and we had revenue sharing agreements so we could start generating revenue. And then when we got to the stage of like OK, you know, now we are at a stage where we want to build our own product. We want to get all the li- right licensing. And then we ended up setting up NARVI Payments, which is a licensed, uh, what do you call an electronic money institution. We build on our own technology to the point where, you know, we can issue bank accounts. People can open a business account in 15 minutes, all done uh, on our own platform. Online. So uh, yeah. we still haven't raised any money from investors by using some hacks on the way.
1: Amazing story. In today's world, what is the biggest issue or the biggest challenge in terms of payment for normal businesses? What do you say is creating the biggest headaches for companies? It's
0: such a big, I wouldn't like to be like, hey, every company has this problem. I think if you're just a basic company, like a restaurant, you know, you don't really yeah. have a lot of payments. You know, you're paying a few employees, you're receiving some payments. It's not a problem. The big problem I see is with digital businesses and people who are like, hey, we want to do something little bit more international, you know, then as we talked about a little bit before, let's say you're a small company. Yes, doing your local payments in your own country is fine. But like, okay, how do you solve problems? Like, let's say you're going to start dealing with cryptocurrencies. Most banks will cancel your account if you get cryptocurrencies. You need to accept <laughs> card payments. Okay, how do you, maybe use strive, maybe you see other things. Then, yeah. okay, you're going to have an employee base globally and supplier base globally. How can you, make say payments in brazil via their local payment Mm. system how do you make your you know big let's say swift euro trans u.s dollar transfers to your big suppliers in china that is one of the bigger challenges i think that most sort of digital or like more semi-international businesses are facing right now so again there's a lot of different problems i wouldn't say that's i'm covering all of them but yeah what once we see.
1: Yeah, but if you travel a lot, you pay in different currencies. Before I discovered this kind of digital banks, working with my local bank and transferring money to India once, you mm. know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, the fear I had to pay really knocked me off my sock. But building such a company, I mean, you described the process very well. You basically sort of had a kind of, yeah, worked in the, in the, on the, in the shadow of a larger organization, building up the product, building up the service, doing white labeling. And then coming to the market with your own brand, doing that, what was the biggest challenge in saying, okay, now we are here as an organization? No one knew you before, you know, only you only worked for this few organizations. So you had to really launch this to the public.
0: I would say that part, I mean, was the easier part but not easier part because you know like you turn on the switch and everything just happens but one of the things you know why we were so confident about launching this new product was that and you know building a licensing company which is very expensive and required Mm -hmm. is that over the last five years we were able to build like a strong customer base we were able to build a strong like network of people across the world who you know we were solving a problem for, or they knew that we could solve a problem for them, and so we had already a huge network built. And I think that most important thing in the banking space is trust. Like throughout yeah. these five years, when we were working with you know whether it's white labels, whether with partners, I don't think we ever like misrepresented our products. So you know people got used to the fact that hey you know this is the hey we can solve this problem for you, and it costs this much. And this is how it will work. And, you know, like in the banking space, that's a, the trust is the main issue that they could see that we always solved the problem for them. And then what we said is what we delivered. in unfortunately, our industry, there's always, you know, fees are not transparent. Mm-hmm. People will promise, ah, oh, we can do all these things. And then in the end, they can only do 1%. So the funny thing is we had built this like huge legacy of trust with customers and with our network that when we did finally launch our the main product with Narvi, we actually were like revenue positive from one month of starting because we had a lot of guys say, yeah, okay, we trust you. We're going to open accounts. So actually that went, I'm not saying it's a challenge we have solved, but it's like, uh, you know, it's a work in progress. So we and I took a lot of the hacks we had learned from the previous, you know, all the previous startups that I have done. So one was the network, the trust we have built with accounting firms that, hey, you know, if you have Clients which have problems with banking, send them to us. We will solve it for them. We also, a lot of the marketing online is, you know, you have to, you know, like, for example, when you're in the banking space, you really want to align with the big players because that's how you sort of build trust. For example, we took part in the MasterCard program. So MasterCard selected us as like the top five fintechs in Finland to be part of their program. And immediately people are like, hey, you know, Narvi, they're working with MasterCard. We should take them seriously. So there are ways you can do this without actually spending a lot of money. So, for example, to get into the MasterCard program, there was no money involved. Like, it was just about telling them the story. Like, I'm telling you that, hey, this is what we do. This is the problem we're solving. Having an interview and we got selected, but the marketing and the value, this sort of, let's say, the program is generating for us is, you know, limitless, you know, you cannot, you're getting effectively sort of an endorsement from MasterCard, which is a global brand. So there is a lot of hacks we use without, so we Mm -hmm. still do all our marketing in-house, a lot of our SEO in-house, our PR in-house, but just by using all these hacks we have learned over the years, like What is it that our customers want and what are they looking for? And as I said, the main thing that they're looking for is obviously trust firstly and then obviously the product delivers and pricing.
1: How do you stand out into the competition? What is your USP in terms of service you offer to your customers?
0: I would say that it's a big space, the payments. So I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say that, hey, we're always better than our competition because there's a lot of different. It's it's like banks. There's like 5,000 banks. They're all competing. A lot of them are successful. So we focus on niche. So what we see is that 90% of the companies that are out there are not our customers. If you're a restaurant, there's no need for you to open up an account with Narvi. You can just go with your local bank. Where we excel is that we excel with digital businesses. You know, A digital business can open an account in 10 minutes without visiting the branch, all online. So that's a big plus for digital businesses. Can provide so we give them a named IBAN account. We also have a crypto OTC desk. So there's more and more businesses which are invoicing crypto that they can use our services for that. We also have an API. So we have a lot of customers which want to automate all their banking so through us. So once they integrate our API, they can actually just, you know, rather than have to log into the banking application, just Make all those payments directly through their marketplace. So, we focus on sort of niche industries which want to solve a more technical problem. Mm. So, like to give you an example, we also have a banking as a service solution. So, for example, we have like a large lending platform in Finland, which has thousands of customers. So, they will be integrating our API to issue like 1000 bank accounts to their customers so they can, you know, bring everything under one platform and one banking integration. So we focus on like more on like, hey, the technology and the services rather than like, hey, our product is for the mass market for businesses. And that also means we can charge more fees, which is also important if you're bootstrapping that you want to generate revenues from day one, you cannot have this burn a lot of cash mentality that if you raise millions from VCs.
1: Even uh, offering an API Mm -hmm. is uh, quite a innovative solution. Uh, which not many banks offer to their customers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that it's one of those things you think everyone does, but then you're surprised at how few actually do it. So it's still a, so small, a lot of these things like set us apart from what normal banks do. And, you know, the thing is our industry is very slow. So we have, let's say, big eyes, but it really takes a long time to build this. So this year we're integrating with the Swift Network. So we can now also do like more global wires for mid-sized businesses. We are integrating yeah. 20, 30 different currencies. We are integrating like business cards, virtual cards. So it's slowly coming where we will have like a product, which is, let's say, even better than a, like a mainstream bank and uh, definitely beneficial for our
1: digital customers. Sounds like a perfect bank for me. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of building the organization, I mean, we talked a lot about uh, building the product, doing it without funding, but you also need people. Yeah, You need a team. First of all, how big is Nari? Uh, yeah, So
0: we are about 17 people right now. So we're still small, but we are 17 mm-hmm. uh, people. In terms of building the team, again, because we take this like, you know, like bootstrap approach, or I like to use what self-funded approach, because I don't think yeah. we're still doing well. So it's not like we are living off uh, ramen noodles anymore. <laughs> so the main thing, like, you know, is I feel like, you know, when you are in this situation, you sort of wait. Till you're forced to hire people and i don't mean that in a bad way it's like hey you know like we still don't yeah. have any sales really because it's like hey let's keep just doing That's the called. marketing yep. and for conferences i'll go myself we try to focus on the inbound funnels and then once mm-hmm. we are at a certain stage we're like okay let's maybe hire four or five people in sales so we are sort of staying small on purpose because we're like hey we want to build the products and the revenues first before we hire too many people i'm sure like When I see similar companies like us, we often see that they have like already 50 to 70 employees while we have sort of been like, hey, we want to keep still everything small till we like, okay, we really have to hire another compliance person. Okay, we do need an additional person in sales or support or IT. So we are taking like a a more approach that, okay, let's play the 80-20 rule that we cannot do everything perfectly. And yeah. wait till the pressure is too much before we hire the next staff. So let's say it's not a perfect science we have right now in terms of growing the organization, but we are we're taking the approach, to, okay, build the revenues and reinvest the revenues in product and staffing.
1: It's a slower yeah. but yeah. Could be a healthier way, yeah. So do it in this way.
0: Yeah. And I mean it, it means you have to sacrifice stuff, you know, like there are like a lot yeah. of sales they hacks, which we cannot do because we just don't have the manpower to do it. Uh, a lot of like the things, you know, that uh, we could do better, or maybe that would even lead to like 10% more revenues. But yeah, we have to like sacrifice like, some of our growth because we are trying to grow slowly. And that's also the reality in Europe right now. I mean, it's just so expensive to hire staff that you cannot, you know, let's say you're growing in Asia or South America, you can actually scale your teams a lot faster because the cost of labor is so low. So it's not such a big risk. while well, our average employee would be, let's say, very expensive. So it's a big decision for us every time we hire a, a new employee and make a big commitment.
1: But you can have also employees in other countries and build up a remote workforce.
0: Yeah, I mean we have to keep that balance. So obviously we are a very remote company, but you know, we are still mm-hmm. a regulated European company. So we have to keep the balance between you okay. know security mm, sure. and also like most of our clients are europe-based and uh, so we want to keep that european core yeah. so yeah i think it's easy to do an e-commerce where you can just yeah you know have an office in philippines or somewhere else yeah. but uh, yeah <laughs> i think for a bank uh or what we are doing it's important that we you know have both from a sure. we have to think the security perspective and a philosophy perspective that we don't just yeah go around hiring people for the sake of hiring in cheaper locations
1: And when we look ahead, what's your midterm plan for the organization?
0: As I mentioned, like in the payments and banking space, everything is slow. You know, like to get a license takes two years. You have to be very patient. I mean, two years is a long time. You know, most businesses go bust in two years. So you want to integrate with a bank, it takes a year. So and that's also the reason why it's important to stay like, you know, slow growth, because it's hard to predict when good things happen to you because it just takes so long. So our focus for this year is on about extending our product range. So we have like a really good product now in terms of like, hey, we can onboard companies in 10 to 15 minutes, companies fully digitally. When immediately, if they get approved, they immediately get access to their, the digital banking platform, which has, you know, all the usual bells and whistles of API, you know, multi-user access, multi-IBAN. And now the goal for us is, you know, to build a truly global, let's say, payment solution. So we're integrating as Swift. So a customer who's with us on their own iBand, they can receive payments in, say, 20 currencies and send payments in 20 currencies. They can, we are integrating local payment methods. So you can say pay from your account in Europe in pics in Brazil. So we will yeah. have like local payment abilities in say 50, 60 markets. We are, as I mentioned, we are integrating like virtual cards. So, you know, like we have obviously a lot of companies which want to spend on cards also with us, which is obviously a little bit basic feature, but it still takes a long time to integrate with MasterCard and, and mm. it's not that easy, even okay. though let's say everyone expects a card and has yeah. a card. And we will also integrate some crypto services that Along with a bank account, people can also convert cryptocurrencies to euro. And so those are like the main products we launched this year to broaden like our product. And then let's let's say by the end of the year, we have a product which we feel is better than most banks. Maybe we don't have the reputation of that, but I don't know many banks which can give a bank account, which can do 20 currencies, send payments globally for an average customer. Of course, if you're a large customer, you can do everything. So we... Then for the, once all these products are launched, the goal will be that, hey, you know, we will start really scaling for sort of mid-size to large digital businesses in Nordics and across of Europe. So that's the product first, and then try to scale the product from there on, uh, marketing and sales.
1: And when you look back at your history and your career, what are the three or maybe two biggest learnings you would like to share with your audience before we wrap up?
0: I think the big thing is like things take time and it's okay to take time. Like, you know, yeah. when I first started in the startup, world, it was like, ah, oh, you need to, you're a failure unless you launch a product in six months. You know, like I think that, you know, because there's this mentality, like I'll build a product in six months. You're going to scale in two years and in three, in a in third year, you're a, a billionaire or a millionaire, you know? So I, that's not how it works. So I think that <laughs> taking time that you know the first three four years might just be a learning curve you know that you're getting to know so much about yourself your industry so many skills which you know i never had like before i think that's that's an important thing and the second thing is when you have time take breaks you know i think that doing a startup or a business is it's a marathon it's not a sprint so if you have the opportunity to take some breaks take breaks and enjoy life because work is always going to be there so I think those are two most important things, which, you know, like most people don't think about.
1: And we only have one life. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. Lots of learning and I will definitely check out your bank and wish you best of luck, mate.
0: Thanks, Sebastian. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day and week. Cheers.